Hey, well, good morning again. Um, you know, Pastor Ike um, often introduces himself as the senior pastor, but I, for the record, I'm 10 years older than he is, so um, I really am technically the senior pastor here. <laughs> He's not here today, so just between us, I'll be the senior pastor today, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, week one, Pastor Ike, about Christmas, um, Pastor Ike spoke last week from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh. The Logos became flesh. The Word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, God with flesh on, Jesus coming down from heaven, the divine breaking into our world. The question I want us to wrestle with this morning is this one. Why why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come that first Christmas? Why did Jesus come that first Noel? From John 10.10, Jesus answers the question, I believe, clearly and succinctly. Jesus says, I have come, I have come to give you life to give it to you abundantly. I've come to give you life, to give it to you abundantly. That was Christmas, the Christ, the Christ Mass. As Pastor Reich taught us last week, the Christ mission. Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Jesus coming down from heaven to show us what God looks like and really to show us what God loves like. The title of this message is Best Day Ever. My initial working title of the message was, Some Things I've Learned from Funerals, Jury Duty, and the Like. Um, But somehow, you know, the message morphs between first thoughts and second thoughts. But I'm going to share some of that tonight at the candlelight service. Come back for that, 5 o'clock if you could. But have you ever had a day when you said, It doesn't get any better than this? A best day ever. What did that look like? What did that look like as a kid? As a kid, for me, my best day ever was always, was always Christmas Day. It was always the best day until the next Christmas, and then I was praying it would be the best, that would be the best day ever. Some of you guys know I'm a big Broncos fan. Drew Locke, rookie quarterback for the Broncos, started his first game last Sunday against the Chargers. He, Drew Locke, had a best day ever. The Broncos won on Sunday, and Drew Locke, that rookie quarterback, had a pretty darn good day. Within minutes of the game, he had thrown two touchdown passes. We were up 14 to nothing. Then we were up 17 to nothing. Then it was 17 to 3. And it looked like at least a glimpse at the first half, it looks like we were going to kick some tail that day. But if you watch the game, the first half we played much better than the second half, and the Chargers come back. They come back to tie it all up with less than a minute to go. And it looks like we're going into overtime. And every Bronco fan in that stadium, every Bronco fan watching it on TV, we did not have a good feeling about this. We, we, it's going to go into overtime, and Phillip Rivers, I know he's a good guy, but I don't like him at all. Quarterback for the Chargers, he's going to beat us. I know it, I know it. We all knew it. There's like um, 20 seconds left on the clock in regulation time, and the Chargers kick off back to us. We get a pretty good run back. But there's nine seconds left on the clock now. We have time for one play, first and forever, just to get into field goal range. 
And Drew Locke he throws it a mile to his, his, his favorite receiver, Cortland Sutton. He's the wide receiver. And somehow Sutton gets behind the defender. The ball's in the air, but the, the defender catches up, runs into Sutton. They both fall to the ground. The ball falls to the ground. But the referee is right there. He throws the flag, pass interference for the Chargers. Clock stops. There's three seconds left now on the clock. Tie score. Kicker Brandon McManus comes in for a long field goal. 53 yards. He kicks it right through the uprights, but right before they, they, they call the play, Chargers coach calls a timeout right before the snap to ice the kicker. I hate that. It's okay when we do it to them, but when they do it to us, I hate it. And I know there's a gospel message in there somewhere, but I'm not going to touch that today. And they line up again, and the pressure is really on. You could cut the tension in the Hess house, at least, at least for me. Um, the game's on the line. The ball is snapped. The holder gets it down. Kick is up. And do it with me now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we finally won a game. And we need to pray for the Broncos right now. I think they're playing. <laughs> Just started, in fact. Best day ever. I heard an interview with Drew Locke as he talked about the game afterwards. He said, um, this is a game I will never forget. I will replay this game over and over and over again in, my, in the head for the rest of my life. Best day ever. We each have some ideas on what a best day ever would look like, don't we? What's your best day ever? What's yours and my best day ever's look like? Then a best day ever when we were kids. Maybe a best day ever now. And then I wonder what's a best day ever perspective from God? What's a, what's a best day ever from a heavenly perspective, from 40,000 feet up, from a mountaintop, from, from, from God's perspective? Best day ever. I've got a family desk right off of our kitchen. We have a handwritten note from my dad tacked up above the computer. It reads, March 12, 2019, a day and time we'll never forget, signed my dad. And above that, there's a framed picture, and on the frame it reads, best day ever, and it's this picture. Um, and for folks who are listening to the podcast, it's a picture of my wife, Cindy, and then Jessica, our niece, and then my dad, and my 89-year-old dad. Dad's standing next to the pilot, and next to the pilot is this perfectly good plane that they all have jumped out of from some 15,000 feet um, just a few minutes before. Best day ever. And this has been something, for some reason, my wife and my dad, I talked about for a really long time, years really. And I don't remember how it all started, talking about jumping out of an airplane, parachuting. I really just thought it was just talk, and they were joking about it. Something you say but never really do, like buying a boat and sailing to Tahiti, wherever that is. But the day we buried my mom last year, the afternoon of my mom's funeral, November 1st, 2018, I'm not sure who said it first, um, but that was the day they both agreed it was time. It was time to jump out of an airplane. My niece, Jessica, overhears them talking, says, Grandpa, Aunt Cindy, I want some of that too. I'm in. I'm jumping too. Best day ever. Jesus' words, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Funny sometimes when we come close to death or face something that scares the bejesus out of us, the life out of us, but we face it head on. We're shaking in our boots, but somehow we're more alive than we've ever been. Best day ever. That first Christmas, the first Noel, was that a best day ever? Was it a best day ever for the world? Was it a best day ever for Mary and Joseph? If you've got a Bible handy, I'm going to 
turn to part of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus in, in Matthew's gospel, first chapter of Matthew's gospel. We'll miss the genealogy part because there's just a lot of names there. Um, but we'll pick, bless you, we'll pick it up with verse, pick it up with verse 18, chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first, gospel, first, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, 18th verse. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Look, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had been born, until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Was this a best day ever? Was this a best day ever for this young couple and their new baby, Jesus? For Luke's gospel, the baby comes suddenly. While they were out of town, they couldn't even find a decent place to have this baby. They ended up back in the barn born in a food trough in a manger. Was this a best day ever? The young family, they eventually end up running for their lives because of a crazy, jealous king, becoming refugees, escaping to Egypt. How fear and pride and selfishness can ruin the best of the days. And how sometimes, we all know this, or many of us know this, best days ever can turn on a dime. It happened to Jesus. It happens to us. In the first part of the John 10.10 text, it says this. Jesus warns us about this. He warns us about the thief and why the thief comes. This is from John 10.10, first part. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The nasty thief, the bad guy, the boogeyman, the really, really bad guy, the Grinch, And some would say the thief is Satan prowling around like a lion looking for something to devour. But I believe in my heart it's also us, our sin, my sin, and yours, and how that sin impacts us and the world around us. I believe the thief can also be the voice in our head that tells us we're no good, we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're pretty enough, we're smart enough, we're strong enough, we're holy enough. And sometimes the thief is just that the stuff that steals and sucks the life out of us, the stuff that life throws at us, the stuff way beyond our control, no matter how hard we try to avoid it, it just happens. I swam as fast as I could. Our kids still get hit by boats or cars. Our loved one gets cancer. A husband, a mom gets sick and dies. Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. Kaka happens. And St. Paul to the Philippians, he reminds us, Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, 
Whatever happens, there's a comment in my translation. If you're taking notes, I just put an exclamation point there. Whatever happens, exclamation point. Because we know whatever happens. The whatever is going to happen. The whatever is the thief that comes in the night to steal and kill and destroy. But what about the gospel part? Where is the good news in all of this? Where is the hope in all of this? Jesus' friends, his followers, the folks who watched Jesus preach and teach and heal, they came to know that Jesus was different. When he spoke and when he taught them, did not speak down to them or over them, he spoke right to them, right to their hearts. And most, if not all, even his closest disciples weren't sure exactly who this Jesus was and what he was all about, but they wanted some of it, some of what he had, and they followed him, some wanting to be healed, some wanting to be fed, all of them needing hope and encouragement for this journey, for this life. And St. Paul is telling us, reminding us that what the whatevers in life are going to happen. But he challenges us that no matter what, no matter what, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's telling us to live in such a way that points to Christ, that points to Jesus, to live in such a way that we shine the light of Christ. We all know some folks who can light up a room. My wife, my daughter, they can do that. Maybe on our best of days, we can do that too. And John's gospel reminds us what that looks like. In him, in Jesus, was, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Things will get dark, but the darkness will not overcome it. Jesus not only lit up a room, but he lit up the world. This is from John's gospel, 8th chapter, 12th verse. I am, I am, the great I am, the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts me, whoever puts their faith in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. And maybe, maybe that's God's definition of a best day ever. It's us believing in this Jesus, trusting in this Jesus, trusting in his promises, believing somehow that when the worst thing that could happen, happens, when the worst thing that could happen, happens, it's never the last thing that happens. That God walks with us in and through the whatevers. And I believe in all my heart that faith is the conviction that God knows more about this life than you or I do. That he will be with us in and through it. Some of it will never make sense this side of heaven. Why a young 25-year-old kid gets run over by a boat on Thanksgiving. Sometimes in the midst of the stuff, in the midst of the pain and disappointment, we have to adjust our perspective and see it from God's perspective. A cure sometimes in the midst of the worst of the worst can be revamped expectations, radically revamped expectations. And I believe that's what happened on the first Easter morning. Our expectations, the world's expectations, were radically revamped. If you remember the story on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, the week before a best day ever, Palm Sunday, and then to the horrors of Good Friday, now it's Sunday morning. Jesus is dead. He's been in the tomb for, since Friday afternoon. In Mark's gospel, the three women show up now at the tomb early in the morning. Per their custom, they're there to anoint the body. But the tomb is empty. And a young man dressed in white, we guess it's an angel, he tells them, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed. 
just a quick sidebar, every time an angel shows up in the story and tells them not to be afraid, the fear factor goes from here to pegging the fear factor machine. Um, the angel says, you're looking for Jesus, the one who is crucified. He's not here. He's not dead anymore. He's not, he's not here. Look for yourselves. He is risen. Now go tell the disciples. and Go tell Peter. Go tell Peter. Because he needs to hear it. He's had a rough couple of days. And the woman... They run from the tomb, and I'm guessing it was not a slow jog. They sprinted from the tomb. And some of the texts say they were terrified and amazed. And some of them say they were trembling and bewildered. These women, these women, they may have been terrified and amazed. They may have been trembling and bewildered. They may, may have been scared to death. But you know what? You know what? With hearts pounding, they were fully alive. Fully alive with radically revamped expectations. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. The whisper from all that Jesus did, from, from his birth to his public life to his death and ultimate to his re- ultimately to his resurrection, it was these words, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Past tense, present tense, future tense, eternal tense. I've come to give you life, to give it to you abundantly. This is from 1 Peter 5, 7. The one who needed to know that Jesus was risen, that he wasn't stuck in the grave. From 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter 5, 7. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. The song we sang this morning, Is He Worthy? Is he worthy? It's a faith question. Is God, is Jesus worthy of our faith and our trust? Is he worthy of our worship? Do you trust me, Jesus says? Do you trust who I said that I am? Do you believe me in what I've told you? Do you have faith in me? Do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me with your kids' lives, your grandkids? Do you trust me not only when you're in the middle of the best days ever, but do you trust me when it's first and forever and the darkness is closing in. And if you do trust me with your life, how are you willing to live that trust out? How are you willing to live that faith out? Are you willing to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you willing to be a light in the darkness? Are you and me willing to be Jesus in the midst? Are you and I willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we are, whether it's at work or the grocery store or school, where we live? I really believe best day ever from God's perspective, maybe it's a day when we finally say, uncle, that we surrender. We realize that through it all, we, we have no clue. We can't do this on our own. We need your help, God. We're all in as best as we can be. And maybe the best day ever from God's perspective is when we repeat the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Not my Lord, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And those to me are faith days. Those are faith-filled days. To me, from God's perspective, those are the best days ever. In real terms, real terms, you know what that looks like? Is gathering to sing Christmas carols on someone's front lawn when you know that person won't live to see another Christmas this side of heaven. 
It's rallying around some refugee kids from Eritrea and Syria, loving on them, not just, just because they have a cool story, but because it's the right thing to do. It's working with the marginalized, the down and outs, not because you have something to give, but that somehow you'll be changed by it. It's showing up for the least of these in our midst, knowing God's there too. It's some teenage boys on a baseball team, devastated by the unexpected death of one of their beloved coaches, then stepping up to raise money for the family by selling these bracelets. It's showing up even when it's hard and when you think you have nothing to give or nothing to say. It's saying, I'm sorry first. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Words, words of power, words of life, but words that can be so hard to say. It's being present. Really being present, not trying to be perfect, but being present with people. It's a family gathering around the dinner table. Family gathering around the dinner table, holding hands and praying for a family 2,000 miles away that they don't even know. It's being the Mr. Rogers in your neighborhood. Go see the movie if you haven't seen it yet. It's really good. It's my dad volunteering at the hospice house where my mom passed away because he knows how hard those last days can be. It's a best friend getting in our face and reminding us when the worst thing that could happen happens that God is right there with us. God is right here with us. God is right here with us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's all of us trying to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy the gospel of Christ. It's us trying to live out our faith. It's us in our human, often bumbling ways, trying to say yes, yes to the faith question. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy?